0: I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is
1: Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hi, Kieran. It's been a while.
0: It has been a while. I mean, yeah, I'm, I was trying to remember when the last time we recorded was, which is always a bad sign.
1: <laughs> it was like a month ago. Yeah! Happy New Year. Happy we New Year. We made it to 2023. Yay.
0: No apocalypse yet. Uh,
1: yeah. I got sick with COVID, which was terrible. It was really mild. Like I like the it was like a very faint line. I just looked at it was like, OK, if this were a pregnancy test, I would be pregnant. So it's definitely COVID. <laughs> but it was very thin. I didn't have any trouble breathing, but like I did lose my sense of smell off and on. And drinking coffee without smelling coffee is a weird sensation. You, you just have taste your, the bitter.
0: Your, your taste buds back.
1: I do. I have my taste buds back. I have my smell back. It's very it's it's that's better. That's Most good. of my energy is back. The thing that was like the worst was that it like stacked on top of Fibro and IBS and like I basically have been in a flare for like two weeks, and that's like starting to calm down now. Yeah, because COVID
0: is vascular.
1: Yeah, it's like it's everything. Like everything was inflamed, mm-hmm. so my whole body is just like, oh hey, fibro and IBS. Let's just do a whole thing, and it'll be like we stacked it twice. And so this you've is been fine. resting,
0: and that's good.
1: Yeah, I basically slept and didn't do anything because I didn't want to get long COVID. So I was like, I will sleep. I played Dicey Dungeons for like two weeks. and that, That's where I've been.
0: Nice. I, I had the week between Christmas and New Year's off and I like locked myself in my office and worked on the book, which I hadn't really worked on in about a year just because life was a lot. So I felt very nice to pick things back up and have the added distance of perspective to like be more aggressive as an, you know, with edit edits and revisions. And just like, I'm it's nice to not be as precious. Nice. Yeah. So that's very cool.
1: My new year's goal was to find a doctor I can work with, which I did in like a week miraculously, which is great. Um, But the other thing is like, I'm starting to work on my memoir. So now Wednesdays are my writing days and I got myself two special cups I have like a giant coffee mug that has dogs on it. And I have a fancy little flower mug. So I have like my writing time mugs for my tea. And I found this app called Stim- Stim- you Write. Yes. Something like that. I'll link it later. But it's like, it's an app made for people with ADHD to write. Yeah. It like, it you can set sounds you can have a background that like moves very subtly and every time you type you get like hearts and smiley faces and it's the best thing ever
0: I think that would drive me crazy but on that note have you heard of the most the most dangerous writing app ever or something like that no it is a tool that if you are not active actively typing in it within a certain amount of time, like 30 seconds to a minute or something like that, it erases everything. <gasps> oh my
1: god, that's terrifying. And I'm like,
0: if you'll need an emergency to write, <laughs> it will give you okay. an emergency to write. So if if you need serotonins,
1: use Write, And if you need like pressure, cortisol. use the most dangerous writing app ever. And your 2023 is gonna be full of writing
0: and speaking of writing
1: <laughs> speaking of writing we have a friend a friend of mine in berlin actually um annie would you like to introduce yourself
2: <laughs> yeah so uh yeah speaking of writing i could use that actually i just googled "stimulate" while you said it kieran um yeah, so I'm Annika Bachschmidt. I'm a German writer and journalist and I cover mainly right-wing extremism across the, uh, across the globe but with a focus on Germany and the US.
0: Wow. And and how did you and Kieran run into each other? I know y'all have been <laughs> buds for a little bit.
2: <laughs> it was very random actually. So, I've uh, been listening to your guys's podcast for I don't know I think about two years probably and um because I was writing a book on the history of the religious right and I was looking for you know just something that gives me input as to what it's like to actually live in that environment <laughs> and I was listening to you and uh I think just randomly I saw a tweet by Kieran saying oh I'm I live in Berlin and I'd I th- I think you'd said something along the lines of I'd I'd like to meet people so that I uh, don't just talk to my landlord who's the only person that I speak in English to at the moment because you literally just moved here mm-hmm. and I was like oh fun oh. huh. so uh, I live here do you want to go for coffee and it turned out that back then we lived about ten minutes by foot from each other it was crazy <laughs> it was so crazy uh, and so yeah we we met. Kieran met my very over-enthusiastic dog, and uh, yeah, very important. Yeah, so that's how we became friends and stayed in contact since.
0: Wonderful! I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have you tell our audience a little bit more about your your professional work in this realm, um, and then why why this topic is, yeah. is a good tie into it. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So um,
2: I'm a historian by training and I chose to focus on sort of a history of violence and uh, these sort of psychological aspects of that because something that's always interested me is why people do things Mm -hmm. that seem from the outside like they make no sense because I think actually most things that people do, they have a reason for that. whether that reason may be right or wrong is a different story, but I don't think people just act in a way that seems inherently irrational to them generally, even if it may look like that from the outside. So that's why when I was at university, I put my focus on genocide studies, but I'd always had sort of like a personal interest in religion, in how religion works in groups, how religion works in sort of high control environments, because not because I grew up in it, but I know people who've grown up in it. I went to a Catholic school, to a Jesuit school, which I would say is fairly liberal, sort of on the German Catholicism <laughs> scale. But, you know, I still grew up in an environment with religion and tried to figure out wh- where I fall on that spectrum as I left school. And so those kind of two interests combined. And um, I always found the U.S. political landscape interesting when it comes to religion, because it kind of you kind of see conflicts and aspects that you also have in the European political landscape, but you kind of see them as if under a magnifying glass, Mm. just because they are so much more pronounced due to you know different reasons, different political system, different you know, different history, of course. But I think it's interesting to look at the U.S., even from a European perspective, because I think um, we can also draw a lot from what's going on in the U.S. at the moment to, you know, trends that we've also been seeing in Europe. And so that's why it it kind of made sense to me (laughs) to start um, pitching articles I was already working as a freelance journalist after I left university and I started pitching articles on the American religious right because I'd kind of self-educated myself over the last 10 years reading up on the, you know, scholarly literature, listening to people tell stories who'd grown up in this environment. And I think there was a real urgency in in Germany amongst people who are interested in the US which is a lot of people actually there's a lot of Germans who have quite a sort of close relationship to the US either because they've always wanted to go or because they went there as students as exchange students Um, and because it's generally this place that kind of is idealized in a way that's like one of the big sort of I don't know if there's an English word for that, but one of the big places that you want to go if you want to see the world. And so I think for a lot of Germans, what happened within the last couple of years made no sense to them. And when you look at the general reporting um, in the sort of 24 hour seven news cycle in Germany on the US, there's not really enough time to sort of to lay out the groundwork of what's the historic background, how has this evolved, to make sense of this. And um, that's what I tried to do in the book that I wrote, I think, two years ago? Kind of have lost track of time. (laughs) (laughs) It, It was published in October 21. Yes, because January 6th is still is in the book. So it has to be 2021. And it's basically... A roadmap for a European audience or just for an audience that doesn't know much about the topic on the history and the sort of cultural aspects and influence of the American religious right. Gotcha. Right. And you also have a podcast. I do. It is called uh, Kreuz und Flagge, which means translates to the cross and the flag. So <laughs> it's, um, it's where we talk about uh, the... History, the present, and the future, hopefully, (laughs) of democracy. And uh, I used to do this with my co-host, Thomas Zimmer, who's a a guest professor at Georgetown. He's now had to stop because of family issues, but you should all follow him on Twitter. You can find him if you type in his name. He's doing great analysis. And um, I now actually have a new co-host, uh, who is uh, he's called Lucas Hamsmeyer. He lives in New York and in Berlin, and he covers the political left. So that will be hopefully a,
1: a oh a, very cool nice
2: addition. Yeah, that's fun. So. Yeah,
1: you get to talk about something besides <laughs> ridiculous <Yes>. shenanigans. <laughs> or, well, that's not true. You get to talk about ridiculous shenanigans, but by different people. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I remember being in the Democratic yeah. Party. There was shenanigans. <laughs>
2: yeah. It'll be nice to kind of broaden my tunnel a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah. So the the uh, sort of impetus for me inviting you on is not only because, like, you understand January 6th and, like, the landscape of the U S from like a European perspective, but also because I woke up one day in December and I looked at the news, the English news site that I read. And as it turns out, there was a almost coup that happened and we arrested like 50 people. And I was like, Mm -hmm. we did what, (laughs) what happened? There was a what now in Germany and Mm -hmm. we just arrested people and there was no two year long inquisition. And like the minister of whatever the fuck it was got removed from her ministerhood and was like banned from public office and there was like no. Select committee, like what
0: you mean? There were consequences. There were
1: consequences.
0: Like, I woke up and there were
1: consequences.
0: Isn't that just cancel culture gone wild? (laughs) Just the left gone wild, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's few
2: things as left as the German Ministry of Defense and the Interior. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there was an extensive plot to overthrow the German government, and it was the biggest anti-terror raid in Germany's recent history. Uh, There were 3,000 policemen and policewomen were searching the homes of suspects nationwide, and I think in uh, a town in Italy and one other country as well. I've forgotten which one it was. And there were initially, I think there were around 25 arrests. They in total searched 130 sites. And the group had planned to attack the Reichstag building, now called the Bundestag, where German parliament holds its sessions. And apparently for at least a year, this group had conspired to actually, so their plans were actually quite advanced and quite sophisticated. So they'd conspired to establish secure IT structures and communication channels. Hmm. They were conducting shooting drills and you know, just generally plotting the overthrow of the democratically elected government planning attacks what was, a tax the, what was this, like,
0: the end the end goal most oh, <laughs> oh
2: so strap in cuz the end goal was basically founding a fourth reich um which you know is not good mm. and um they <laughs> basically they had planned to uh evoke a state of chaos by planning attacks on critical infrastructure like the power grid in order to create civil war-like scenes to then be able to attack parliament and potentially kill or take hostage uh, lawmakers. Mm -hmm. And they had plans that were apparently quite sophisticated because they had a former German lawmaker amongst them, a member of parliament, former member of parliament, uh, from the AFD. Of course. Which is our far-right party. And um, so their goal was they want to overthrow the government and establish a new Reich. They also, and this is where it gets, you know, it was already wacky, but it now it gets really wacky. The group apparently also wanted to renegotiate Germany's post-Second World War settlement. And that is because, and I'm not going to go into the completely nutty details of it because it just your brain just shuts off Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I want to spare you that Um, but the suspects are connected to basically conspiracy theories of the Kürnen ilk and um, they belong to a specific faction within the German far right which are called Reichsbürger so citizens of the Reich hence them wanting to create a fourth Reich. And this is kind of the German version of the sovereign citizens movement. It's not exactly the same thing, but there are similarities between the two when it comes, for example, to the refusal to pay taxes or to accept government authority, willingness to use violent force, And the belief in conspiracy theories. However, the Reichsbürger movement has existed in Germany since the 1980s. And it's quite hard to define who they actually are and what they believe because they're not homogenous in belief. So the beliefs within the movement can be quite different from each other. They're not uniform. However, many of them believe some version of this. So they claim falsely that Germany is not an independent country and in believe that it is still governed by the United States, ah,
0: okay, that it is
2: not a country, but a company. I'm not going to go into the details and the absolutely unhinged <laughs> reasoning behind this claim, which has to do with the name of a version of a passport that we have. Um, it's you know, <laughs> um, And, you know, there are warring factions within the movement, some who belong to the sort of wider scene that are called Selbstverwalter, so essentially self-governing people. They don't necessarily believe in a continuation of the Reich, but they have similarities to the sovereign citizen movement in that they, for example, most of them are preppers, Most of them don't accept state issued documents. There have been many cases of violence and shootouts when police search their grounds because they've declared themselves independent from Germany in their backyard in the past, you know, with warrants, of course. uh, So many of them are actually armed. And just to give you a sort of idea of the scale of this, how many of these people are there the German Verfassungsschutz, which translates to the Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution, oh,
0: estimated nice. we have one of those. Yeah.
2: Well, we do. It has a massive problem with right-wing extremism in its own ranks, so that's mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, law enforcement problems. Um, and they estimated in a report from 2021, 20, I believe, that 21,000 people belong to this Reichsbürger movement. And of them, it categorized 1,500 as right-wing extremists. I think that number has been upped since. And the report counted 2,100 people as ready to potentially commit violence. And the number of violent extremist crimes committed by this movement has risen over the couple of years, reaching around 1,000 in 2021, including over 180 violent crimes. Mm. And 500 of these people currently own weapons legally, which is a very rare thing here. Nobody has a gun. Yeah, Yeah. So the fact that there's 500 of these people who have guns is very worrying. And um, so they kind of gained traction with sort of more, let's say, non-fringy parts of society, during the pandemic actually because they were very they were very present in the anti covid measures protests so there has been some overlap between the sort of reichsburger anti covid qn folk which i think we've seen in you know in a lot of countries and um so yeah that's that's basically where they're uh, located um ideologically and what made this so until now you might think okay so why why is this so shocking yes they 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 attempted a coup but doesn't look like it would have worked sure but what made them more than just a bunch of people who had some kind of wacko idea about a fourth reich and wanted to storm parliament is that they were recruiting members from law enforcement and the military mhm so These were not like social outcasts, like the the visible neo-Nazi with the swastika tattoo on uh, their necks. You know, there were soldiers, former soldiers, policemen. There's a doctor. There was an opera singer. You know, and I think that's interesting because it tells us that this form of extremism is something that has been bred in the center of society, not only on its fringes. And what's especially worrying is that apparently uh, the organization seems to have split into a council, which would be responsible for the organization, and into a military wing. Oh, good. Oh, Yeah, and the military wing seems to have been led by a, firmer, uh, by a former colonel who used to belong to the Fallschirmjäger Battalion, uh, fifty one in Calf, which changed from an elite group of paratroopers to the special forces unit of the <laughs> army. Called okay. Kaiser in 1996. Mm. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. So, uh huh. And so, according to media reports, that guy had been suspended from the army after a surprise violation of gun laws. <laughs> Shocked. But also, there was another current member of the Special Forces Unit of the army uh, in the logistics wing who was arrested by the Special Forces Unit of the police which is called the GSG-9 Anti-Terror Unit, who also searched the premises of the Army's Special Forces Unit, which is pretty unique, I think, in German history, one Special Ops Unit searching the grounds of another one. Yeah, I yeah think that's, that's pretty
1: unique generally. Like, that doesn't happen often. No, it
0: doesn't happen every day. So, yeah, no. it's, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite something. Okay, thank you for the, the the like background info. I mean, I, I know that currants following this stuff because they live there but like i don't and i don't think most of our listeners are, are really like up to date on the the nuances of this so thank you
1: what, what was really fascinating to me is i was reading a report about it and they're like oh and these people were stockpiling guns which is like it is ridiculously hard in germany to get a gun like complete sidebar but on new year's eve apparently there was like chaos with like shootings and stuff and some people in brandenburg like got trapped in their basement and it was on fire and the fire department found guns and they were like what the fuck are these doing here because you should not be having these guns and I, I just find that hilarious for some reason. But anyway, it's like really- it Just
0: like coming coming from, yes, that's just like contrast is-, is Yeah, yeah. Hook. It's just
1: like, oh, like the people lighting fireworks in the basement also had guns because of course they did. But also like, how the fuck did they get them? Because this is Germany and it is so hard to get guns here. Mm-hmm. And so like, because it's so hard, one of the reports I was reading was like, the parliament is considering that's- even tightening the gun laws that we have. Mm-hmm. Which are yeah. already like pretty fucking stringent. So I'm like,
2: yeah, that this is what it's like to experiment. live in a
1: society. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what a society does.
2: Yeah. And yet, so this is actually so the fact that so many of these people, uh, or at least a significant number of them, had a connection to law enforcement or the military is not that surprising, mm-hmm. unfortunately, because. Uh, according so there was the the guy that heads, I'm not sure how to say this in English. I think it translates to something like the military counterintelligence service, which is mm-hmm. kind of the sort of the secret service version within the military. Mm-hmm. So people who are supposed to be investigating the military for extremism within its own ranks. They uh, had already warned in 2020. That the military had been infiltrated by right-wing extremists. So I remember the report. There was a line in the parliamentary report that they gave, um, which said something like, "It's not like there's a shadow army, but it has been infiltrated
0: by right-wing extremists." I was like, "Oh great, oh. so no shadow army yet."
2: I, didn't I just know like that
0: I one. can't imagine like uh, That kind of it. report yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> right
1: it would be the entire army it's like oh by the way all of the army which like we already know is infiltrated the, the shadow by army extremists. is the normies <laughs> yeah the, mean, sh- the shadow army is the ones who aren't extremists really
2: and they named 600 pending cases and again wow. like the german army is not that big like it's a fraction of the of the the american military where suspicion of right-wing sentiments was being investigated and especially the military's special ops unit the Commando Speziale Kräfte Short, KSK, has been under investigation. Again, so this is this is a very small unit. 20 soldiers were under investigation recently. The total suspected cases amounts to 50 within that unit.
1: Oh, my God. Wow. wow. And,
2: but, you know, also journalists who report on this unit have been warning about this for years because so there's a... Uh, there's one journalist who's been doing a lot of great reporting on this, who I think two years ago gave an interview where he said, well, whenever I tried to talk to like army officers about this, I mean like, oh, you seem to have a couple of quite unhinged people in here um, who, you know, seem to harbour some worrying sentiments. Their response was like, well, yes, of course. Those are the people you want in that job because who else wants to do that job? Mm. You know, in itself. Mm.
0: So yeah. That's me um, me actually like that, that mindset kind of, ties into what you were saying earlier before we started recording about January 6th being a kind of a turning point in how your work has been received. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I would say generally the interest in sort of how did we get to this place, what's happening, uh, started, you know, to rise after Trump got elected. But it was still, you know, whenever I would you know, pitch stories in the religious right on right-wing extremism, it would still get the response of, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, but it's very niche. And that seemed to shift significantly after the storm of the Capitol, because I think these images were just so shocking. And a lot of people watched it live on their TVs. Like, I remember I was moving at the time, so I was in Berlin and we were in the car and I had, uh, I had C-SPAN on in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, yeah, As you do. It's, it's this procedural thing, but you know, I kind of have to keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember we're just heading up to the, to the new flat and there was a commotion and we were just about to unload the box. And I was just like, just hang on a minute. I just have to, have to see what's going on there. So I spent the next, what, like six hours just like in the corner of the empty apartment with my laptop, like perched up and just watching. And I think a lot of people were just glued to their TV screens because, you know, they might not have been there in person, but you could you could watch the coup live.
1: It was it was so surreal watching it. It was it so scary on Twitter. It was just like,
2: so yeah. I think it was such a visceral experience, even though people were just seeing it through their TV screens or mm-hmm. laptop screens. That I think there was a shift in, oh, we seem to have missed something here. Um I'm not saying that, you know, German reporting on the US is great now, far from it, but there's at least now, I think in part a willingness to listen to what people who've researched far right extremism and religious extremism have been sort of what they've been shouting from the rooftops for the
0: last years, decades. Yeah, that's that's fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah, earlier we were talking about like the German media scene and how like it is finally talked about fascism but without saying fascism because that's you can't say the word
2: no it's a that's a big um so you know germany often gets lauded for their sort of how germany came to terms with its history and i would say that is correct on sort of like a superficial level and on a sort of public memory culture level maybe Mm -hmm. but It doesn't really go deep and I think for a lot of people the word fascism equals Nazism and a lot of people don't know that Nazism is just one very extreme version of fascism and then that there's lots of different types of fascism that there used to be types of fascism that were kind of you know pitted against each other and the general belief, I think, that some researchers have been trying to work against, that fascism today might look slightly different than fascism in 1940s Germany. So if you try to check if something is fascism, if you have like a list that just applies to 1940s Germany, you're not going to recognize it mm-hmm. if it stays no. Because so much has changed. Because so much has changed on the technology side. Because, you know, a fascist state doesn't just fall from the sky because it develops. And I think failed coup attempts, as German history has shown us, is, can, they can be quite instrumental in how a movement uh, goes on from there if they're not punished yeah. severely enough or if
0: they're not prosecuted severely enough. I mean, I, one of the things like my friend Robert on his Behind the Bastards podcast will say a lot is just like the the, the logistical requirements to have taken it seriously would have been putting everyone on trial to a degree and that was, that was so overwhelming it would, would have been logistically impossible to do but I think that you you're, you know, the consequences weren't there yeah. for so many people on a smaller level that allows the the seeds of that to just kind of stay buried. And like, you know, <laughs> like I'm I'm constantly battling, battling invasive species in my yard, and it's just like some of these seeds will like keep coming back for 34 years (laughs) and I think like fascism is the same way (laughs) it
1: is it really is which like kind of leads me to like the last couple weeks in the house because one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was watching the coup not happen in Germany because we just fucking stomped that out because we can apparently um, (laughs) was like how the US instead Instead of punishing anyone who is very obvious instead voted to acquit trump the second time after being Mm -hmm. impeached and like launched a two-year-long investigation that they then sent to the doj who has done jack shit for two years and like it feels like with everything going down in the house with the like hard, far-right people, like, Matt Gaetz literally voted for Trump to be speaker multiple times in the the 15-vote-whatever-the-fuck thing that happened. Like, it (laughs) felt a lot like another attempted coup, but more
0: subtle. Yeah. It's a dick-measuring contest on the House floor. I mean, yeah. That's that's all it is.
2: (laughs) I, I think it also kind of felt like, to me... Because it seemed that January 6th, if we kind of look at the timeline of what they tried before, it was – yes, it was planned, but it was sort of the last-ditch attempt Mm -hmm. because everything else hadn't worked. Mm -hmm. So I think what the catastrophe on the House floor shows and the the charade on the House floor shows is that I think at least the the heads of the movement – have learned okay so we might not have a second storming of the capital so we're now going to use sort of quote-unquote legal ways to do this to attack democracy from within and so far I'd say it's been pretty effective for them at least because all they need to do they don't really need to achieve anything they just need to grind proceedings to a halt Mm -hmm. because this is the story that they've been telling right this is the whole you know, you've—I I think you've talked about this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's parts of the American right who've been very interested in this idea of Caesarism within the past couple of years. So the idea of you need a strong man leader who mm-hmm. takes this ancient crumbling republic um, that's incapable of getting anything done in the Senate uh, and you know in the House. Uh, and you know, invigorates it and just makes a decision just for you know a couple of years, and then it gets to be strong again. And in order to push that idea, it's very handy if you block everything
0: in the house. And the yeah, Senate I mean, I mean, it's, it, it, it's the proving the point of oh, Democrats can't govern yep. by like actively sabotaging.
1: And this is not the first time, like, this particular (laughs) caucus is the Freedom Caucus, but it's the OG Tea Party. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the, like, this caucus was founded during the Tea Party. This is meant to be the obstructionist, like, we are not going to let the Democrats have anything because we want power. And so what is interesting and, like, I want to, like, kind of potentially dangerous is, (laughs) like, all of the concessions that they were able to get from McCarthy. And I was reading an article from grid, which was really thorough about how this caucus in November, before all the things went down, like basically organized exactly what happened on the house floor. Mm -hmm. And was like, we are going to pressure the fuck out of McCarthy to get all of the seat, like as many seats as we can on the rules committee to get the motion to vacate reinstated and to get all these other like, Things that they want, which means that they have the power to choose what goes to a vote. They can use leverage to get McCarthy to do what he wants, unless he bails like Boehner did when they vote for a removal of him as Speaker. And like, I don't think much is going to actually happen legislatively because not- none of the conser- like super conservative they bills are going to pass through the Senate, obviously. But mm-hmm. like they can hold the debt ceiling hostage. They can hold, like, government shutdowns hostage. And they did this in 2010 and 2015. Yep.
0: And they've already announced that they'll be doing it again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... I think about how my... The very problematic ways of how my father would sometimes, like, solve arguments between children. Like, Mm. well, if you guys can't figure it out yourselves, no one gets anything. Yeah. And just, like, removing, removing... the thing that was being fought over entirely from the equation and just like now Ruben's everyone's miserable. That's, that's basically what's, what's happening here is just like, and, and that's a, and that's a, that's a gesture of, of authoritarianism. You know, I, you know, if you can't, you know, make me happy, then I'm going to just withhold Mm -hmm. until you submit it's pretty. It's pretty classic. I mean,
2: yeah, that's basically, it like it 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 literally just stopped short of Kevin McCarthy promising I don't know Lauren Boba to let him hunt to let her hunt him like ritually every week once. <laughs> <But> <laughs> then he gave everything. That was I I think like on the third day because mm-hmm. it took the, what, fi- I think 15 rounds yeah, get elected, which I don't think is the record, but it's pretty humiliating already. It's like the mm-hmm. highest
1: it's been in like a century. Yeah, it's the highest That's, it's been yeah. since
0: before yeah. the Civil War. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's just
0: remember why just it was high said, before <laughs> the Civil War. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that is just, I remember reports being, oh, it's very unclear, what other concessions McCarthy can give them because he's already given them everything and he apparently found other stuff and, you know, made even broader concessions. But And that in a way... So there's a very sort of twisted way in which the Freedom Caucus as much as it pains me to say this, is actually right about McCarthy himself. Oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah because
2: that guy is an empty suit, you know? He just wants to be speaker. He doesn't care what he has to say for this. And this is why so many of them don't like him, because, you know, he's flip-flopped on Trump, he's flip-flopped on this on that. But the crazy thing that has now resulted from this, at least in parts of the German press on the report- reporting on this, is that... Because the Freedom Caucus and its, you know, allies have behaved in such a completely wacko way, the McCarthy faction is now being reported on as, oh, these are the moderate Republicans, which is completely (laughs) ludicrous, considering that, A, Kevin McCarthy himself could be counted to the insurrectionist faction because he voted... Right. against certifying of the votes after the storming of the Capitol and Marjorie Taylor Greene is, was, you know, campaigning for him. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is the quote-unquote normal faction of the Republican Party. I mean, this is just great. We? <laughs> yeah,
1: like it's great to have an insurrectionist as Speaker of the House being uh, like coerced by even more passionate insurrectionists. And the other yeah. thing that like is I like I don't fully understand the implications of this yet but mm-hmm. like the forming of the subcommittee on the weaponization of government because mm-hmm. the Republicans don't like that the January 6th select mm-hmm. committee existed like <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I, I just want to like bring this all back for a second here Um and I, I talked about this before we started recording so I'm just going to say it all again remember when I covered the gun rally in Richmond. Remember that morning, the FBI did no knock raids mm-hmm. on organizers who were planning on kidnapping governor, then governor Ralph Northam and doing a like mimicry of the, the plan to kidnap governor Whitmer that had happened earlier that year. Like there were, they were arrested a like, coup at the Richmond state capitol was averted because there was proactive mm-hmm. efforts. So it was like what happened in Germany, what you were describing. These things are not that, like, we're not capable of doing them. It's a very, like, deliberate choice not to do it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this about the German response. So... Um, there's still a lot of things I would say that are very worrying about the way that parts of the German sort of political landscape, not just the AFD because obviously their reaction is horrific to this but um, there is a sort of trend in German politics of writing instances of right-wing extremism in law enforcement and in the military off as one-time things. Mm. You know, so- classic, oh, lone wolf situation. right? And our former, so this has happened at the tail end of, you know, the Ministry of the Interior who's, for example, responsible for our police, uh, refusing for years under the former government, under Merkel, um, refusing to, for example, do what sociologists were begging them to do, like a comparative study of the sort of ideological landscape within the police force, <laughs> of the racism mm-hmm. of the
1: police force.
2: And for some reason the Conservative Minister of the Interior always said, no, we're not going to do that. There's no problem. There's no problem. Uh, even though the military sort of, the, the people in within the military themselves who were supposed to you know, investigate this said, "Um, you might want to take a look at this. So Germany has had a right-wing extremism problem within its law enforcement for decades, since the end of World War II, with reason, because, you know, even though the denazification um, effort was there, it kind of was cut short for practical reasons, because the Allies realized that if they just, you know, fired everybody who was a Nazi, the administrative state would collapse, because...
0: Then this is exactly what Robert yeah. is always talking about.
2: Yes, yep. <laughs> yep. you had pers- so some people, you know, were fired, but were allowed to come back after a couple of years. So you had ideological, personal continuancies in there, and this is not just like my lefty perspective. There's like a there's a report by the Bundeskriminalamt, which is kind of like our version of the FBI that says in, because they were working with historians, the denazification effectively failed and we kind of have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that politicians need to follow up on this. But our sort of center to conservative uh, wing of politicians is very much on the, well, but what about left-wing violence beat, which (sighs) is just going overboard because, you know, there have been youths gluing themselves to the street because they're scared the planet is going to burn which is of course the same thing right um, oh, definitely totally. definitely yeah,
0: yeah. No, I'll, I'll.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's this constant false equivalency while also closing your eyes to the structural problem behind it even though there might be action taken to prevent this specific coup mm-hmm. i'm not that optimistic that there's really going to be structural change. Although I'm, I'm happy to be wrong on this. I'd be, it'd be great if I was wrong. I would
1: love to be wrong yeah. on things. It it's would right be
2: about our job. It would be job. amazing. If
1: we were <laughs> it would be great.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's so hard to enforce follow through with these things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess only only time will tell how how this is going to continue. But you know, this has also shown, and this might actually be an interesting tidbit of information because I think this is uh, it, something that's very different to the American right, because um, the guy who was heading this terror group <laughs> belongs to the far right wing of the German aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's a, well, he's not technically a prince. He still has the title, but, you know, we don't technically have aristocracy anymore, but they still have their titles. With the with the colorful name of Heinrich, the, I think, 13th Prince Reuss zu Köstritz. So lots of consonants in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, this led to the amazing sentence that his hunting castle near Bad Lobenstein was also searched as well as his other properties. But so he is...
1: It's Hunting Uh, Castle.
2: Yeah, Hunting Castle. (laughs) Obviously, you have to have a Hunting Castle. (laughs) But so he's uh, an example of right-wing aristocracy, which you also see in the German religious right, which is a lot less powerful uh, and has less of a political infrastructure than the American religious right has, but it does exist. And, you know, the German religious right has ties to the World Congress of Families and all that sort of stuff so he i thought was interesting because it was known that this guy who then was dreaming of becoming emperor apparently um as you do Mm, yeah uh, he was already known to be affiliated with the iceberg movement because in 2019 he'd held a talk at the swiss world web forum which is a very strange event so i i researched this and went down a bit of a rabbit hole and it's 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 an event that again shows how libertarianism extreme libertarianism and authoritarianism actually go together quite well Mm -hmm. because it i think it calls itself the what was it the woodstock of it or something so it invites misfits
0: and disruptors and mavericks. Mm. So it's, you mean people who don't like being held accountable or like having foresight for how their actions might impact other people. Yes, people who are like maybe we should have monopolies,
2: maybe the state should just back off. So this is very there was this very weird mix of sort of liberal Silicon Valley type people but also musicians and this weird prince guy who actually held a talk. And this is where the anti Semitism just like barges in, where he claimed that foreign powers, namely, and this is a quote, the international financial interest had in fact instigated the First World War in order to, quote, end the monarchy, naming the Rothschild family, ding, ding, ding.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know. The bingo heart is full.
1: Wow.
2: So this was already out there. And he, in fact, had made headlines this summer. Earlier this year, uh, not this year, last year, when he attended a summer party near his hunting castle with the mayor who, because it was a scandal, because he was a known Reichsbürger. But the mayor had apparently either invited him or didn't care that he was there. And a journalist tried to record this or to film these two. And that then led to the mayor physically attacking the reporter. Uh, So... That always works. You
0: mean he knows that something is off here?
2: Yeah. And fun fact, last fun fact, he's also accused of having tried to contact the Russian government and its officials to support his political project.
1: Of course. I mean... Daddy Putin, come pick me up. Yeah, that tracks.
0: So, you know, full circle. Yeah. I wanted to ask too, um, you know, we, we planned this conversation before the... Bolsonaro supporters yeah. did their, their yeah. little, had their little party last week in Brazil. Do you feel like there's, there's observable parallels here that we should talk about? I mean, yeah, I would say
2: um, I've seen at least a couple of images that I would say show parallels, not just in, you know, there's difference. There are differences, of course, because the scope of the, of the Bolsonaro coup was broader, so they mm-hmm. not only attacked Congress, they also attacked the Supreme Court and the presidential palace, as far as I know. But you also saw as you also saw images of insurrectionists, you know, kneeling down in prayer. You saw there was a, a guy with one of the Bolsonaro's slogans, God above all. Mm-hmm. So. You- The element of Christian nationalism, which has also been very prominent in Bolsonaro's politics, Bolsonaro is also um, has the majority of the Brazilian evangelical support. Even though, as far as I know, the sort of makeup of Brazilian evangelicalism is a bit different to the one in the US, but they are enough. It's it's super
0: comparable. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I would also say um, you also have, especially when you look to the US. And its relationship to the far right in Brazil, you also have sort of personnel ties. So you have Steve Bannon, Mm -hmm. you know, who spent months on his War Room podcast claiming the Brazilian election was stolen. Mm -hmm. He also called, so on the day of the coup, he called the insurrectionists freedom fighters. Of course. He wrote on Getter, hang on, I wrote this, I wrote this, copied this quote. The criminal atheistic Marxist Lula stole the election and the Brazilians know this. Now see Lula crack down like all communist dictators. Uh, the, the, the,
0: the, the, that's the, 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 like subtext see also cultural marxism see also (laughs) there is a line here (laughs) it's all
2: connecting you have have ali alexander you know former council for national policy member and stop the steel organizer Mm -hmm. telling the people who attack congress to do whatever's necessary he had previously called for a military coup in brazil Bannon and Stephen Miller had previously advised Bolsonaro's son Eduardo Bolsonaro to advise his father on how to, you know, deal with the whole election loss thing. Mm-hmm. And Miller had even been shortly detained in Brazil and questioned uh, about this. He'd been in Brazil to attend CPAC, which
1: is, you know, also uh, Wait, <laughs> why <laughs> the fuck was CPAC in yeah. Brazil?
0: I mean, they also wanted to. Why would CPAC be in more. Brazil?
1: <laughs> Every everyone is everywhere. Like, I mean,
2: Bolsonaro's son was in Washington
0: for January sixth. You know, mm-hmm. so, I, yeah. So there's 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 definitely some like back and forth sloshing yeah. between the like various fascist pools. I um, mean, isn't
1: Bolsonaro like hanging out with DeSantis and Trump in Florida? Like,
0: yes. still
1: or high up high until recently?
2: I think, I think, as far as I know, he's currently staying in the home of a mixed martial arts fighter. But uh, he is definitely in Florida. Yeah. And, oh, there's another person, how we can, you know, come full circle uh, on the sort of global aspects of the uh, far right, including Germany. Another name that pops up very often in sort of relation to the Brazilian version of the big lie is Matthew Termond, who is a right-wing extremist on the board of Project Veritas, he also called for military coup, yada, 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 all of that. And he was a guest at a gathering of fascists and white nationalists hosted by the New York Young Republicans Mm -hmm. a couple of months ago, which also included as uh, invited guests two Mm -hmm. members of the European Parliament who belong to the far-right
0: AFD so good times cool. but, oh i guess i guess the larger <laughs> point that i I want to really drill home here is and correct me if if i'm misinterpreting this but because the us has such empire imperialist clutches on culture across the globe the rise of fascism here and not having that be taken seriously and having immediate and serious consequences for it means that everybody else is going to be dealing with this more intensely than they would have otherwise for a while. Yeah, well, I think
2: the only thing where I would interpret it slightly differently is that while I think we can definitely see that sort of right-wing talking points from the U.S. are transported mm-hmm. into European discourse. You know, we, example Germany, they tried it with critical race theory, that didn't work because Germany has not come to terms with racism, so nobody knows what whiteness even is, so that didn't it's work.
1: Not part of the social understanding at all. on one hand, <laughs> like...
0: Good but they're
2: tried. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're trying they are definitely exporting the culture war stuff mm-hmm. I would say that's where I would agree however I think because all of this shows us right how the the right and I think this is easily overlooked because each of these political projects are so fiercely nationalistic mm-hmm. it seems contradictory at first that they are embedded in this global network. But they are, because there is sort of I don't I think it's not a just like a one-way street. Mm-hmm. But you can also see this so when we look at Hungary, for example, Viktor Orban has been a sort of hero to the American right for a while now. Mm-hmm. And when we look at what DeSantis is doing in Florida, I would say you could you could you know there've been there've been essays which I think have been on point speaking of the urbanization of Florida where he is kind of copying or at least implementing an American version of what Orbán has been doing in Hungary. So there's, I, I think there's learning, sort of authoritarian learning, going on in sort of both directions. That makes sense. And I think that is something that we really have to keep an eye on because that's not going to stop tomorrow. There, there, no.
1: There's
0: a lot of cross-pollination happening here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, it makes sense because all these people go to like all the same events and listen to yeah. the same, like they're all friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're all hanging out.
2: I mean, Steve Bannon went on a European tour, I think in, when was it? Was it in 2019? I can't remember the exact year. You know, he tried to, to open his, what was it? His gladiator academy. Oh God. In, yeah. In a, in a German castle that belongs to a sort of staple of the German right wing. <laughs> She's a princess, Gloria Fonton and taxes. And when oh, this then great. came out, she said, Oh no, you can't use my castle. But you know, I think that was probably only because of the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> and there's a there's a lot of I think it's quite interesting. So the, the German far right, the German religious far right is very Catholic and it's very anti the current Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, which they would probably call the woke pope, which in itself is bizarre.
0: Mm-hmm. But you know. <laughs> well, com- com- yeah. compared to the, compared to the the last one, uh, I mean, don't even get me started. We'll, we'll, we'll right. stay far away from I that
2: in German press. <laughs> I mean, a complicated character. Well, that's one version of saying mm-hmm. covering up for sexual abuse. Sure. Right.
1: Oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, on that, like. Tw- Total, total, total sidebar. But, like, (laughs) on that note, Queer DE, which is Queer Deutschland, it's, like, the queer newspaper Uh in Germany, is being sued by I don't know the fuck who because they said that the Pope was anti-gay. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm simplifying it a lot, but, like, they're being sued for defamation and, like, it's something about, like, defamation of a dead person is, like, some crime that they can be investigated for.
0: Is it defamation if it's true? the fun thing, well
2: that's the first thing right? so we're just stating facts but um, the thing is that, so they as far as i know they they were sued for defamation but it probably can't even proceed because all of the people that they allegedly defamed that could make that claim are dead so you know, they might be a bit <laughs> cool. of
0: law in there
1: yeah it's 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 not a very well thought through plan
0: we love we love clogging the courts with nonsense yeah. yeah, which by the way, there's a
2: there's a German hashtag for that, which is called Quatschjura, which basically means nonsense law, which is what a lot of the COVID deniers have been doing to try to you know not wear the
1: as
2: mm-hmm. the, the quote unquote symbol of modern slavery, a piece of cloth over their nose. Right. I mean,
1: uh, there is <sighs> that was sort of like the interesting bit of culture shock was how like similar mm-hmm. things are like yeah. germany has all this bullshit too it's just in a different language that sounds like a lot of consonants smushed together yeah. most of the time
0: people will make nonsense at any yeah. at any given opportunity if it suits As them it turns so, out. people are just gonna always be people
1: Yeah. One of my favorite things is having dinner with my spouse's co-workers who are all immigrants and have all, like, fled fascist countries. So we just, like, swap war stories over dinner. Like, oh, why are you leaving the U.S.? Isn't the U.S. cool? Oh, no, let me tell you. (laughs) Oh, why did you leave Iran? Well, uh everything like <laughs> it's just it's beautiful oh, it's yeah. like oh so fascism is just like a global problem and we're all just sort of fleeing it and fighting it like right. it's just a universal there, thing
2: uh, there really seems to be sort of like a global resurgence of fascism that i think has been emboldened or at least mainstreamed uh over the pandemic at least in germany in a mm-hmm. way i think i mean there's a there's a german study done by the foundation of the social democratic party that's done every year which is basically called the study of the center which deals with how entrenched right wing sentiments are in the center quote unquote of the society huh. and that is quite worrying so for example Because I often get the question, oh, do you think what we can see in the US we're going to see in 10, 15 years in Germany? Because in some things, the US tends to be a precursor. And my response to that always is in reference to that study, because if you read it, you can see that between around sort of like 15% of people they asked subscribe to versions of what what I would say is white replacement theory. So background, the demographic change in Germany is way behind the US. So Germany is still very white. trend going to not going to be as white anymore. But the sort of backlash that I think the US is seeing and has seen getting stronger and stronger over the last years from the right, uh, we're not even there yet. So that's mm. still going to come. But already, you have 15 to 20% subscribing to some version of right replacement. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, not, not looking great.
0: I'm that cheery
2: <laughs> well, <that's, you> now. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean
0: I, I guess one of the things that I, like, we saw coming out of the pandemic is like being in lockdown yeah. made a lot of people get more clear about what was important to them and who they were. Mm-hmm. And that for a lot of people meant coming out or getting a divorce, uh, and I guess it, it it runs the other side of the gamut too, with doubling down yeah. on your your fascist ideology.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of. I mean, psychological studies show that sort of extreme conditions, like a pandemic, tend to act as a catalyst for already existing conspiracist beliefs
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that's what we've been seeing I don't think these things
0: weren't there before the pandemic no I think everything everything that I'm describing like was like these were yeah. things that people were avoiding dealing with mm-hmm. and because they had to be alone in their own heads got more yes. serious mm-hmm. about being open with
1: yeah. and um, yeah I agree. It's fun. I don't know what's in the water in all of the countries on the planet, but like someone should switch the poison to not be the fascist one. That'd be great. It would be nice. <laughs> in 30
0: years a study comes out of show, showing that uh increased levels of microplastics cause fascism.
1: Right. Like <laughs> we we figured out lead. So like clearly something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's not right. <sighs> Anika, yeah. well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us. Uh, it's sorry I didn't bring that on you. No, I mean, <laughs> this is this good? It's, if people are listening to this podcast, they, they already know that it's going to be a bit of a downer. <laughs> <laughs> we try, but yeah, it's we, the topic's
1: always rough. we give so much warning. We're like, this season is gonna be a ride. Buckle up. You yeah. didn't say it was gonna be like a fun ride. A fun, happy ride. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Disney. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we'll get off at the end, but
2: <laughs> Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I've again like I've listened to you guys for a long time and um I actually look forward to it every time.
0: Aw. Nice. Thanks. Despite the downer <laughs> Where can um people find your work and find you? So if you're an English speaker, which I guess you are because you're listening to this, uh,
2: you can find me like every other writer at the moment. I think you can find me on Substack. My Substack is called Threats to Democracy. And I write regularly at least once a week, mostly more often than that, on right-wing movements uh, across the globe, the US, Brazil, Germany, you know, the works uh, you can also, if you're a German speaker, you can find my podcast, called "The Flagge, everywhere you can get podcasts. If you're an English speaker, the first, I think, eight episodes feature interviews with English experts that are not dubbed over, so you can just skip over my German ramblings uh, in between and listen to the very awesome people that I was lucky enough to have on. And uh, yeah, you can read German, by the book, makes conservatives angry, and uh, it helps me pay
0: my rent. Good, good.
1: It's always good. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Your work been- is appreciated.
1: Yes. I'm so excited that we could finally have you on. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, because I'm like, Annie is basically like the German us. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. Just it's on. great. <laughs> and at some point, the worlds collide, and as it turned out, it was an almost coup. So. <laughs> thank you guys Uh, thank you everyone for listening and for your patience while I got over having COVID and the weird period of time that didn't exist between Christmas and New Year's we
0: we are back (laughs) buckle in (laughs) (laughs) again it's going to be a
1: ride it's not going to be a fun ride but it's going to be a ride and we will get off on the other side and at some point there will be
0: jokes. And bring your bring your own snacks. It'll be fun. <laughs> bring
1: your own snacks. And whatever else that you need. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cold Podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their albums to Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchentablecultpod. Thanks for listening.